blood of Christ speaks better things than that of Abel. Now, blood is an amazing part of the human body. It makes up approximately 7 to 8% of our body weight, depending on your, the size of the person, which is about 4.5 to 6 quarts of blood. Human blood contains metal atoms, including iron, chromium, manganese, zinc, lead, and copper. And you may be surprised to know that the human blood contains gold, about 0.2 milligrams. On average, it takes 45 seconds for a drop of blood to circulate from the heart through the body and back again. Blood also carries things to our tissues, nourishment, electrolytes, hormones, vitamins, antibodies, heat, oxygen, and then in return, it t picks up waste matter and carbon dioxide. Blood is fascinating, but what if blood could talk? Interestingly enough, it does talk in a way. Probably the primary, primary way our blood speaks is through blood tests. They can measure blood cells to spot abnormalities like nutrient deficiencies, anemia, clotting issues, cancer, infections, immune disorders. They can take blood panels to check the levels of calcium, glucose, sodium, and potassium. And those are just some of the basic blood tests. In fact, I have a friend who recently had over 50 different blood tests run while in the hospital. The Bible also tells us, though, that blood speaks. And that's what we're going to look at here today, is the way the Bible tells us and what the Bible says that blood says. All right, so first we're going to look at a couple of the earliest verses in Scripture that talk about blood. There's Genesis 9, 4 through 6, which says, But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. At the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. So the first thing we see according to Scripture is that blood equals life. The blood is the life. Which makes sense when you think about how essential it is for us to have blood. They talk about how you can live three days without water. You can live three weeks without food. But how long can you live without blood? Blood is essential to life. Blood is life. And then we see in the book of Leviticus... It says, And whatsoever man there is, and whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood, and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul." So blood not only equals life, but blood equals atonement. And it was more than just...
So it was more than just the Old Testament, though, where Scripture told them not to consume blood. In the book of Acts, dealing with the Gentile believers, the Holy Spirit reiterated that, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if ye keep yourselves ye shall do well, fare ye well. Notice who laid these necessary things on them. It was the Holy Spirit. This was also after the end of the sacrificial system. And yet it was still enjoined by the Holy Spirit. So as we move forward into the study, what I'd like you to do is each time you hear the word blood, I would like you to think of two things. I would like you to think of life, because the blood equals life. And I'd like you to think of the atonement of your soul, for blood equals the atonement of your soul. So we'll be looking just briefly. This will be an overview. There's more scriptures that deal with this topic than we could cover in a single study. But I think it's good for us to take a look at what it says about the blood of Abel because it says that the blood of Christ speaks better things. So we'll move from the blood of Abel to the blood of Christ and then we'll end with just a brief application. And there we see the scripture reading again. We're not going to reiterate it now, but it says that the blood of Christ speaks better things than the blood of Abel. So the blood of Abel, Genesis 4. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth to me from the ground. So this is the first instance in Scripture where it is said that the blood has a voice and is crying out to God. What is the blood saying? Jumping forward into Genesis 9, it explains a little bit more about what the blood of Abel was saying. Again, going back, we've read the Scripture before, but a little bit different emphasis, but with the flesh... But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. So what is the requirement for the shedding of blood? Blood. So blood for blood. The blood of the murderer is required for the blood they've shed. And the blood of Abel cries out to God for justice. It cries out to God for vengeance. This thought is also reiterated in Revelation 6, 9, and 10, where it describes the voices of those who have died for their testimony. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell in the earth? Again, calling out for justice. But is it just the murderer who has blood guilt? 
Hebrews 9.22 tells us that almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. No remission. None. Each and every sin, we are all guilty and our lives are required because of those sins. Because all sin is in defilement of the image of God in man. And then not to pile on guilt here because we're going to transition into something better. <laughs> but in Acts 20, verses 26 and 27, Paul takes it a step further by saying, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So we are responsible for the opportunities that we are given to share Christ with others and Paul here is saying that he was innocent of that blood because he had not shunned to do all that was put before him. The idea of blood guilt is taken pretty, scripture, pretty seriously in Scripture. In fact, if you look at the book of Deuteronomy, in 22 verse 8, they were told that if they were to build a house, they were to put up a wall on the roof in case anyone were to accidentally fall off and bring blood guilt upon the home. In Deuteronomy 21.1, there are given sacrificial rites to remove blood guilt from a town where there was an unsolved murder. Over and over in the Bible, blood is required for blood, even to the point of blood guilt being the result of shunning opportunities were given to witness. Precious is the, in the sight of God is the blood of his children. So as just a brief recap, the blood of Abel cries out for vengeance because for justice because without the shedding of blood is no remission. And if that were all the Bible had to say about blood, we would be, we would be in trouble because we are not able to atone for our own sin. So the blood of Abel cries for vengeance, but the blood of Christ speaks better things. And so now I'd like to look at some of those better things that the scriptures say. Hebrews 10.4 says it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. So we know it wasn't the animal sacrifices that provided the actual forgiveness in the Old Testament services. So whose blood was it? Matthew 26, 27, and 28. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Ephesians 1.7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And Colossians 1.14, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. So the blood of Christ speaks, and it speaks redemption and forgiveness. But it speaks more than that. Romans 5, 8 and 9. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So we are also justified and saved from that wrath that we deserve through the blood of Christ. And Colossians 1, 20 and 22. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, 
by him to reconcile all things unto himself, to himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he hath reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So the blood of Christ also speaks reconciliation. And it speaks reconciliation to the point that we are now presented as holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. In John 6, 54 through 56, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. So the blood of Christ also speaks eternal life. And this life is the result of him dwelling in us and us dwelling in him. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had communion. And in the communion service, what do we do? We eat the bread, which represents the body of Christ, and we drink, we drink the grape juice, which represents the blood of Christ on our behalf. It's then that we're reminded, as a reminder to us, what it is that the blood of Christ is speaking. Hebrews 9 adds to it as well. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Purging the conscience, the co-perception it's called, or the moral conscience. So it's cleaning down even to our own thoughts, the internal monologue that we have running constantly, the part of us that nobody else hears or sees. The blood of Christ is able to cleanse all the way down to that. There is no limit to the cleansing power of Christ. Matthew Henry, a Puritan commentator, or these days he'd probably be called an influencer, <laughs> he said about this verse and about the blood of Christ, first, it is sufficient to purge the conscience from dead works. It reaches to the very soul and conscience, the defiled soul, defiled with sin, which is a dead work, proceeds from spiritual death and tends to eternal death. As the touching of the dead body gave legal uncleanness, so meddling with sin gives a moral and real defilement, fixes it in the very soul. But the blood of Christ has efficacy to purge it out. Secondly, it is sufficient to enable us to serve the living God, not only by purging away that guilt, that guilt which separates between God and sinners, but by sanctifying and renewing the soul through the gracious influences of the Holy Spirit, purchased by Christ for this purpose, that we may be, might be enabled to serve the living God in a lively manner. One more here for good measure. Revelation 12, verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. 
The blood of Christ gives complete and total victory. Like the song that says, O victory in Jesus, my Savior forever, he sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. So the blood of Christ indeed speaks greater things. It speaks remission. It speaks forgiveness. It speaks redemption, justification, sanctification, saving us from wrath, reconciling, bringing peace, eternal life, a clean conscience, absolute victory over every single sin, and presents us holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Now, if you were to sum that up into one word, what would that be? Love. This is exactly what the love of God does in us. This is what Christ did for us on the cross. So this is where our response comes in. The question is, what do we do with this love? Exodus 12, 3 through 7. And this is talking, these are the instructions that were given to the children of Israel as they were preparing for the Passover. When the, the, the angel was coming to kill the firstborn and they were given instructions on how to save them and their households. It says, Speak unto ye unto the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him take his neighbor next unto his house, take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Speaking to that in Patriarchs and Prophets, it says it was not enough that the lamb was to be slain, but its blood must be sprinkled upon the doorposts, so the merits of Christ's blood must be applied to the soul. We must believe not only that he died for the world, but that he died for us individually. We must appropriate to ourselves the virtue of the atoning sacrifice. Christ died for the entire world. It's easy to think about it in those terms, and sometimes it's hard to think about it in the terms that he died for me. But we must appropriate that to ourselves. We must apply the blood of Christ to the doorposts of our heart and mind. Church is a wonderful thing. And we are told to gather together and to worship together. We get together to encourage each other. I, many of you here have had very positive influences on my walk with Christ. But you cannot save me. And I cannot save you. It is only the blood of Christ that saves, and that happens as a one-on-one -on -one experience. How then do we appropriate this blood to ourselves? Hebrews 19, or 10, 19 to 23. 
Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? For he is faithful that promised. And I want to be clear because sometimes it's easy to misunderstand the act of us appropriating the blood of Christ to ourselves is not us working to save ourselves. It is only the acknowledgement of what Christ has done for us and what he does in us. We are to hold fast the profession of our faith because he is faithful. For example, take 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful? and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is it works to say, I believe that what he said is true and I'm going to take him at his word? Is that works? No, we have all these promises in scripture that were given to us and all that's within our power to do is to accept them and to move forward on, the, on them. When Noah was told it was going to rain and to build an ark, it was not works that built the ark, though he did work to build the ark. It was faith that said, I believe that what you said is going to happen. I believe that what you've told me to do is the right form of preparation. It was faith that laid hold of the promise of God that if he did this, he and his household would be saved. I'd like to end with this quote here. We need to keep ever before us the efficacy of the blood of Jesus. That life-cleansing, life-sustaining blood appropriated by living faith is our hope. We need to grow in, a, in appreciation of its inestimable value. For it speaks to, for us only as we by faith claim its virtue, keeping the conscience clean and at peace with God.